With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome back to the Minefield podcast from Anfield Index Pro. It's been a while, but I'm delighted to say that we have got back together. And Andrew Vincent, how have you been keeping this in this hiatus that we've had? We took a little break, I think, through the worst of it. We did. It wasn't yeah. intentional either. No, but not a bad thing. I Two weeks ago... We were supposed to record, or maybe it was last week we were supposed to record. Whenever it was, the Jude, the Jude news, news broke, and uh, I forget. I think it was I had a conflict, and it was like, great, like I don't want to talk about that at all. So yeah. now we're back. We can talk about some some wins and some interesting tactical things, and a, a run in that looks a little bit rosy. Yeah, and that's where we're going to take it. So the I think the last podcast we were talking about or maybe it was the previous one before that we were talking about when Henderson played on the left-hand side and how he seemed to have to think a little bit more which made him make, maybe made him a little bit more disciplined which probably was better for the team and for himself in terms of his performance and what we've seen is a shift a tactical switch with Trent coming inside and it did kind of take a little bit I think of getting used to for the players, but they all seem to be a little bit more cohesive, uh, aware, and 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 communicating in a different fashion. Because they, I'm wondering, is it because they have to think about what they're doing differently now, and that is making them actually focus a little bit more? Yeah, I think it's that balance between sort of the conscious and the unconscious, right? Of like what, like automaticity is of course important, but like automaticity is important when everything's working well as a group. And so then when things aren't working well, if you have certain people who are automatic and certain people who aren't, or you're doing automatically, like you're automatically doing things that don't work, 
then that's not necessarily going to make you more successful. And so I think this shift in formation definitely brings some conscious attention and some conscious awareness. And also, like, I think with Trent, too, like, that's probably been one of the big things is, like, he's one of our best playmakers. He's a really important part of the team. So it it refreshes his vision a little bit and gives him some new things to look at and gives him some, like, just having that little extra something to have to think about or, or react to um, is good. And sometimes the other thing that can happen is, like, if you get too automatic, it's so narrow that you actually need for things to open up a little bit. And so it's, you know, if you have success doing the same thing over and over and over, and it's like, okay, like I keep doing this, and then you're kind of banging your head against the wall, and so shifting something, like... Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch, and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. It's about being responsive to the present moment. And if you're so automatic that you're repeating old, like the same pattern over and over, but the situation around you isn't um, actually, there's no opening there, right? Like they, this is the ball I play, but that ball's not on at the moment. Mm. Like then your automaticity is sort of letting you down and you're not actually playing the game in front of you. You're playing the game that you've played for the past year. And so shifting something, shifting some position, shifting some dynamic can sometimes be really nice because you have to play the game in front of you because you don't have a preconceived set of expectations about what am I playing? And so now, you know, you're not playing the game, you're projecting in your head, you're actually looking what's in front of me and what's around and being responsive to that, which probably takes a half second longer than responding automatically, but um, better to have like a half second longer and be responding to what's really there than being a half second quicker and playing against the game that you're imagining in your head. Yeah. And I think like if we extrapolate that into the real world, we see that happen an awful lot. Well, certainly uh, we would see it on this side of the world. I don't know if you have the same experience in people who go to work in a job and they stay in the one job for life and they don't go for promotion. They just do the same thing over and over and over again. It, while it, you become very proficient in your role, you never challenge yourself and then things can become a little bit stale, a little bit bored. And I wonder as well, did that actually happen for us as well, where if it was the same thing over and over, and you know, we've spoken about it, and definitely some of the other podcasts have spoken about the the same voice, and you know, if you're a player and you're hearing the same voice saying the same thing over and over again, you kind of nearly switch off to it. it it's just become, you know, you're not even taking it in. Whereas shifting that, I think, 
is really important because in order for us to grow as human beings, we need to be challenged. But the thing mm -hmm. about it is no one wants to be challenged because being in the challenge can be uncomfortable, but we need to go through it. And actually, it's interesting that this is coming up right now because I was working with a client earlier on and he was saying, I love being challenged in work and then proceeded to talk about how he's really pissed off at his manager because his manager has been challenging him. And I was like, you know, w w were you talking about being challenged and how you enjoyed it? And he, he was like, Jesus, I never even thought about it. I never even put the two together. Mm -hmm. So he left that session all of a sudden looking at the challenges from his from his manager as, okay, what can I learn from this? Now, it doesn't mean that his manager isn't a terrible manager, but he has a choice in how he processes what's going on within the interactions and say, well, what can I do instead of pointing the fingers outwards? And I think mm -hmm. that can happen sometimes with sports people where, you know, it's not my fault that this isn't working out. It's that player's fault or it's that coach's fault or it's that manager's job or it's FSG's fault for not investing. But we all have to take personal responsibility. Now, yeah. we can't yeah, necessarily absolutely. control everything, but we have to take that responsibility and look at, well, how can I contribute differently? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes like that, that shift of the challenge is exactly what's needed to engage with the present moment rather than maybe the version of the world that's in your head or the version of the world that you're used to, where sort of like there's this map that we respond to. And it's like, you know, look, the brain is good at taking shortcuts and that's not always such a bad thing, right? Like some automaticity and some immediate reaction and some like biases and heuristics, like as much as I know, like, uh, you know, Anfield index doesn't like a bias, like it makes it a lot easier to move through the world quickly and efficiently. Um, but it also gives you a chance to lose track of things or not see the whole truth or not actually be responding to what's in front of you. You're responding to sort of like the small packet of information in your head rather than the, the full packet. So it's about managing both of those and managing challenge is a great way to do that. Like that's often one of the things I work on with athletes is like, um, game to game, you know, over the course of a season, you might get better at things, but it like improvement takes time, you know, and really improving a certain skill takes time. Um, but you always can, can change your challenge and you always can be aware of what are the expectations I'm having for myself? What are the small goals I'm having for myself? And how do those small goals affect my frame of reference? And, um, you know, how then also are my experiences, being made sense of in the context of my expectations. And so, you know, with the, the client who you were talking about there too, it's like that interplay between challenge and expectations and like what that like and making sense of. And it's like, if the manager doesn't come to you and say, Hey, I've got to, I'm going to push you a little bit with this. And like, I want to challenge you and this might be a little tough, but I want, you know, it's just sort of like, well, here's this new thing. Then there's never this actual idea of like, hey, this is a challenge. It's the framing of it, right? It's just sort of like, well, this isn't what I'm used to. This isn't good. Like, I don't like this. This is frustrating. Um, being able to reframe that as a challenge or be able to kind of put that in, okay, what is a, the one thing I need to be attentive to like can make a really big difference. And like, you know, you were able to help that client shift that frame of reference. And so it's like, it's his challenge now, right? Or their challenge now. Um, rather than it being, um, just this feeling of frustration, 
which is sometimes how it can feel otherwise is like this expectation has shifted, but a lot of that's unnamed. And, um, yeah. So with athletes, I'm often talking about what's the challenge you're setting for yourself. And, um, sometimes like with Trent, a shift in position is a great way to like naturally shift to that challenge. It's like, Hey, rather than your role being what it was, these are the areas that you want to get into. And so it's just like, Hey, like that's one thing for me to focus on. I'm going to get into these areas and look up and see what's around. And like, that's a really simplified version of the game, which has probably been benefiting Trent a lot and playing to his strengths in a different way. And just like helping him play the game in front of him rather than, you know, the game he's been playing for three years now, which maybe he just needed some space away from. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, one of the most important pieces I'm picking up from what you said there is the importance of how it's framed. So we as fans will go, you know, this player is shit or that player is shit and they're, they're useless. Um, and if we look at coaches or managers in the past, the Mourinho's, the Conte's who will openly throw their players under the bus in, in the, in the open, like, mm-hmm. In my experience, most people don't actually respond long term well to that. They might in the short term, the immediate term, but in the long term, they don't. So what, what could happen if Klopp doesn't frame that discussion with Trent and say, we're shifting you in here because I think your abilities and skill sets will be better utilized by you doing this tactical switch? Because the narrative on the outside, been driven by Sky Sports and Gary Neville and Jamie Carr, is Trent is a shit defender, right? Klopp could go, we are moving you out of here because you're making too many mistakes at right back. But that doesn't benefit the Trent in terms of being successful in that change he might accidentally be better or he might find that actually this feels more comfortable but i think the framing in the short term is so important because Klopp needs him to perform straight away in that new role mm-hmm. so and i think it's one of the big things that jorgen has certainly from the outside looking in been extremely extremely good at has been that person-to-person, human-to-human interaction where he can explain things to people and get them to understand and buy into it because it's not, we're doing this because you're shit. We're doing it because you are better utilized in this role, we think, and let's give it a try. I also, Yeah, I also think like Klopp has a really good approach on like development and performance, like from a, a psychological standpoint anyway. And like, I think some of the things I see a lot of people or players or coaches get wrong, I think Klopp often gets right. And it's the stuff that a lot of people will be sometimes like frustrated about or sometimes kind of annoyed about or They'll think he's like talking out of his ass. And it's like, I don't, I don't think he is. Like, I think he seems to see players as a skill set and see players in terms of their strengths first and really be aware of how do I get the most out of those strengths. And so, like, I think sometimes when he's saying, hey, this player's good or this player's this or this, like, this is, you know, even when maybe they're not at the level the rest of us are, like, interested in, I think seeing strengths first is always going to set people up better and, you know, give people more motivation. And so often, like you said, there's this focus on people of, like, 
oh, well, let's bury people for their mistakes and bury people for the things that they're not good enough yet. And accountability is important. But like um, that almost, yeah, like in the long run, that's not an effective way of doing things. Sometimes you might be able to get a good game out of a person or a player by like giving them a kick or like by telling them, hey, this isn't good enough. Go prove me wrong. Um, But usually what I say is like the fuel you're burning there is self-esteem or esteem and the connection to your strengths. And so if you're constantly pushing yourself or constantly pushing someone else by saying you're not good enough, it only takes so long before you start to believe that a little bit and feel that a little bit. You get disconnected from your strengths. And then when you've been pushing yourself, pushing yourself, pushing yourself by saying you're not good enough, you're not good enough, and that stops working, you have no fuel left in the tank in terms of strengths or things I feel good enough that you're going to feel motivated. And so um, often... I'll have players who are really reluctant to the idea of paying attention to their strengths because they think it's going to make them complacent or they think that like, oh, if I start like really noticing the things I do well, then I'm not going to be hard enough on myself. And then I'm going to like totally just like my game's going to fall off a cliff and almost inevitably the opposite happens. The better they get about noticing their strengths and putting those into use and like really acknowledging when they do something well the more excited they are to get better and improve in those areas. And then, of course, the accountability piece is important. And so, like, I'm sure there are a handful of things Trent could be better about with defending. But the way you work on those, like, what do we have left of the season? Seven weeks, and there's two weeks where you have games every day. So realistically, when does Trent have a chance to get better? Like, when is this improvement going to happen? Improvement takes place over weeks and months. And that's another thing I think Jurgen has a really good read on. Like, if you want something different from a player, you can make tactical shifts. You can ask them to be in a different role, and that might bring different things out. But, like, you're not going to add a skill set or create a new habit in a player in just one week. That's not how it goes, or just one session. It's not like you can say, hey, I don't know what's something. Trent's not always great about like tracking his runner if the cross is coming in from Robertson side and knowing where that winger is and then, you know, defending a header. Like he's not great at that, but like that might be something that takes weeks of practice, right? Months of practice to really build a new habit that would make him better at that. And so you're not going to do that before this season ends. So it doesn't make any sense to hammer him for not doing these things well enough because hammering someone for something without Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Like an actual chance to adjust and improve what you need to improve is a tremendous waste of time that, like you said, is just going to undermine confidence. And so, you know, usually when I'm working with 
players at the start of the season, and especially I think professionals where you're playing a huge number of games, um, I tell them to pick one or two things that they want to get better at this year, and that is it. Yeah. And we will make a long-term plan to gradually improve that aspect of their game, but it's one or two things because you cannot possibly improve at six, seven, eight things over the course of the season where you're maybe practicing twice a week. Yeah, because your brain can only focus on X amount of things at any given time and be effective at it. So, um, and one of the the statements that uh, a colleague said to me years ago, and it's really stuck with me and I love it, is that our brains don't know the difference between fact and fiction. So it, our brains will believe the story that we tell it. So if we tell it, uh, I'm not good at defending, well, then our brain is going to tell our body how to react and just be like, you're, you're not good at defending. So, you know, you're probably going to make a mistake. And it's, I can only imagine the internal mechanisms of the brain of people at the level of LFC players because the the constant feedback they can get from external sources complete strangers they don't even know you you like you have to be so self-assured to not take that on board and not let that impact on you um and and be able to, to just blot that out and not allow the story go, to go into your brain, the narrative to go into your brain that can then cause that reaction in your body to what you're hearing from the external. Mm -hmm. And there's also, you know, you're... By and large, I think the, the things a lot of youth athletes are just developing athletes or athletes in general are told about how to manage their game mentally is bad. And so, like, um, that keeps me in a job, which is nice. <laughs> but, like, um, you know, so often there's this focus on mistakes, fix your mistakes, learn from your mistakes. And by all means, like, I'm not against holding yourself accountable. But you know, what can happen is you get so focused on what's this, how do I fix this one thing that I'm not doing well, that you lose your ability to be effective because effectiveness is based on finding the right spots for the things you do very well. And so, you know, even recently an athlete I was working with who was in the middle of kind of a big tournament, um, you know, I just kind of checked in with her and she had sent me back some, some just where her thoughts were and there's a couple really detailed things. She's like, ah, these haven't been good. And it's like, don't, don't worry about those. You know, like those are things that you can't possibly fix in the next four days. And like, they were kind of these big picture, like, yeah, maybe they were real um, spots in her game that are shortcomings for her. That's fair. Um, but like, that's not what's going to get the best performance out of you. And so we're in the tail end of the season too, which actually, um, this is my favorite time of like this season, like to work with athletes is like, because you don't, you, you don't have to worry about them getting better at everything. It's just like, there's not enough space and time for you to be focusing on your weaknesses here. Like this is, 
the best time to focus on your strengths and getting the most out of yourself and really make a good run in. And like you've worked all year, you worked all summer to improve parts of your game, to add things to your game, to define who am I this year? What are my strengths? And so now it's just about getting the most out of those for what do we got? Four weeks, maybe five weeks. And, um, you know, that, that can be such like an invigorating and fun goal and like freeing too. Like, I love the time of year when I can say, you don't need to get better anymore. You can save it for the summer. And it like lifts something off of people. Yeah. And I wonder if that's one of those things that's occurred for Liverpool, you know, in terms of, look, lads, we're not winning the league this year. So let's just go out there and take the pressure off. You know, no one's got any expectations of us. Let's go out and enjoy those last games. And I'm curious then to get your take on the run-in because we, you know, people will say, well, we have a, on paper, a good run-in. But as we all know, (laughs) those teams that we're playing are the ones who've actually caused us the most challenges this year. But I'm wondering from both sides of the the coin with this one. So I want to get your take on the tactical shift and the very obvious improvement that has brought from the second half in our versus Arsenal right through the Leeds match and heading into Knott's Forest. But also the psychological impact that has on the teams that we are coming up against now. Because there could be a chance of we were confident of playing Liverpool two weeks ago, but seeing what they've done to Arsenal in the second half and seeing what they've done to Leeds, oh shit, I'm a little bit worried now. Because what are we going to do? They're not, they're not going to play the way we expect them to play, or it's going to be slightly different, or we don't know who's going to be playing and what do we do? Does that play into the scenario when we look at the run towards the end of the season? Yeah, for sure. And I I think like um, on both sides, sort of managing narrative and balancing expectations becomes really important. And there's like the big picture version of this and the small picture version of this. And I think like on the Liverpool side, um, you know, the big picture version of it is like, hey, we've got these games against a lot of the, the teams that are at the bottom of the table. Um, those are games like a good chunk of them are at home where we've played really well. Like there's a lot of reason for optimism and that and that's good. Like I think letting that optimism creep in a bit is good. But then I think game by game, it's all about not suddenly being like, hey, what if Newcastle lose this and United lose here and Spurs and Newcastle play each other? And so all of a sudden, maybe we're looking like we could get top four again. Like that kind of big picture thinking makes the moment by moment of a game harder because then if your goal is to sneak into top four, but we have to win every game and then you give up the first goal against Forest is next, right? Um, all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, we're not going to make top four again. You know, it's it's how that moment plays against that big picture goal. That's too big picture of a goal to be focused on in the game. You can't make top four in the game against Forest. And so being really focused on a tactical shift or saying, here's 
the one or two things we need to do to beat Forrest. Here's what we need to be focused on this week. That would be the more important thing. You can have the bigger picture narrative and like the fact that that's looking better, like I'm going to totally let a team be like, Hey, we're really coming into form at the right time. Like this is starting to look good. We're turning the page. We're building towards next season. Great. That's going to absolutely shift your attentional focus and, you know, frame of reference in a way that's positive and is going to build positive experiences over the long term. You just have to be careful about if you're letting that big picture work positively, that can come back to bite you if all of a sudden you drop a couple games and like now the big picture doesn't look so good. Um, but the moment by moment is the most important focus. What does it mean for this game right now? And then, you know, making sure you're not looking so big picture with a goal like, okay, let's make top four that then, yes, that's a nice goal or the idea of that could be really motivating, but you don't want that to creep into your moment by moment of the game. And then I think for the teams who are playing, it's sort of like the inverse of that. Um, if I were playing against us, the way I would really try to focus the narrative is like, they've had good games before, right? This isn't their first big win of the season. Like if you get at them and you get in their heads, like they are going to fold, like score first, like come at them hard and score first. And then if you do that, you're going to get a totally different Liverpool, which I think actually is probably still true. Yeah. Well, we haven't reversed things. The, the only The difference is the Arsenal match, I think, for everybody. Like, we went 2-0 down to the team that is going to finish first or second. Mm -hmm. The team that has been beating most teams once they get in front. And we pegged them back and we should have won the match. You know, uh so that is the only thing I think that could be just sitting in the back of other people's minds, but also our players' minds as well. We can now go to the 95th minute. We are that Liverpool again. And that instilling that belief system w within them again, but with evidence to back it up. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would do for our side. And if I was on the other side of it, I would do the total opposite. <laughs> And I would, I would, you know, even just, I think there's a reality to going down to nothing against Arsenal where maybe you weren't expected to win anyways is different from going down a goal to Forest at home mm. where like all of a sudden it, it's, it's how big our expectations are as a group. And like our expectations are that we should be beating Forest easily and easily is the really difficult word. And like that to me, I think is one of the hardest mental situations that any group can be in or any person can be in is being expected to be dominant, not just win, but be dominant. Because if the other team shows up at all, it creates a little bit of a panic. And so being comfortable with like on the forest side, like you just have to show up enough to cause some concern, like being down to nil against Arsenal, like obviously that's not good, but like it's it wasn't a game that we were necessarily banking on winning anyways. Um, being down a goal against 
Forest, all of a sudden, like that is a game that we're banking on winning. That is an expectation. Like they've had a couple good games. So I wonder how the players are feeling about like, oh, we should go in and walk them now. The fans, absolutely. I think a lot of our fan base is suddenly in this spot where we're expecting 3-0, 4-0 against Palace. So if Palace show up and score first, like, of course it's going to have an effect. Um, yeah, then feeling like you have to be dominant. And that's the thing, like, here to be really careful of is, like, we're not, like, maybe in the long run we dominate Palace, but in the short term, what are the two or three things in this formation we have to be really consistent about and, like, continuous about whether we go down by one, one whether we're up by two, whatever. What are our points of emphasis? Yeah. And would you, and, and you touched on it earlier on, generally would you at this point in a season, if you're working with a player, at, be absolutely talking about the pressures off you because you can start to think about those improvements when the season ends? Like, is that a, a, a general rule within sports psychology from your experience? I don't think so. Like, I think it's, um, you know, definitely. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. A really like kind of general rule in sports psychology is being able to separate your training and trusting mindsets or your performance and um, practice mindsets. And so like practice is for getting better. Training is for improving. The things you focus on when you're improving are really different than the things you want to be focused on when you're performing. Like when you're performing, you really want to be focused on trust and like trusting what you've got and executing on what you've got. Um, I think the idea that the pressure to improve is off of you now is something that I, you know, you're still going to do stuff in training and tweak stuff in training, but like even then that's going to be about getting the most out of your strengths rather than being about adding something new to your game. And that's a piece that mm. I think I separate a little bit differently um, because of my focus on deliberate practice. I know there's other people out there who definitely focus around um, deliberate practice as like a way of thinking about improvement um, but I think especially for me, sometimes the reason I like to really put that out there is because players are often so focused on nitpicking mistakes and really like this idea of accountability and not that accountability is not important. It's just that nitpicking mistakes is not a good way to be successful in the long run. 
So usually I'll say like, if you're making some like over the next seven games or whatever, if there's a mistake you're making a hundred times, like, you know, we can talk about what's a way you can like focus on that a little bit of practice if it's a small thing, but if it's a big picture hole in your game, then um, save it for the summer. Like that's going to take more time. And so kick that down the road and it's separating those out that becomes really important because if you get in that training mindset of how do I get better at this? How do I get better at this? Like people who play golf will know, like if you go out on the course and you're thinking about tweaking your swing constantly while you're playing, like your consistency is going to be totally shot because you're working on building something, which maybe is better suited for the driving range or the practice range or whatever, or practice round. Um, to be in a real performance mode, you don't want to be focused on the things I need to get better at. And so that's part of it is the pressure might be on them to perform. And if that's the case, and that typically is the case, like this is the performance end of the season. And so relatively, you want to be focused more on performance mindset things, which would be strengths and confidence and focus and consistency and keeping like a narrow goal and executing that goal rather than um, what are the things that are wrong rather than what are the areas for improvement rather than what are the mistakes I'm making rather than, you know, all that sort of stuff. Mm. That would probably be pretty consistent across people. Yeah. That's, it's kind of fascinating. And it's interesting you bring up the golf analogy because I've just finished watching the, the full swing, the Netflix uh, documentary following the, the professional tour. And, I I would love to work with Rory McIlroy. <laughs> Not because he's Rory McIlroy, but because he's so highly skilled. But yet when it comes to the majors in the last seven or eight years, it's almost like it's just, from to, to me it looks like it's just a head game for him totally. Like he has all the skills, the ability in the world to win every single tournament he probably ever plays in, but something in his head changes. So Rory, if you're out there, give me a shout. <laughs> there we go. I've got the magic wand for you, but uh, you know, I think it's like, and that's when you are on a, a an individual basis and playing a, an individual sport, like it is all on you. How do you manage that in a team game where you might be making the, the, the tweaks and actually feeling like this is actually working really well, but the rest of the guys around you aren't doing it. Hmm. Like, how do you manage that? Depends how much of it is yours to manage. You know, like, so if you're talking about like you're managing it really well as a player, but the people around you aren't, or if like, like what role am I in? Am I one of the players here? Am I like a sports psychologist? You're the that? player. You're, you're, you're a player. So you're Trent, right? And you've moved into this brand new role and you're feeling like this is working. Like I'm actually in flow here. And you are putting a ball through in the 90th minute to Darwin Nunes and he's two steps behind where you expect him to be or he stops mm. the run. Like, 
do, do you just put that down to game state? Do you turn around to Darwin and go, you prick, will you just do what you have to do? Or do you, would you just let it go? I think, so when I talk to different players about part of your role or part of your job, I think is to teach the people around you how to play with you um, and how to get the best out of your strengths too. And so if it's a small thing for Darwin to work on, where it's like just the timing of a run needs to be a little bit different or he needs to look up and see you in a different way, or there's something small, like, Hey, I'm in this spot now. So if you do this, like that's going to set us up really well. That's great feedback to give Darwin. Now, whether or not Darwin executes on that is a little bit beyond your control or, or realm anyways. And then it's also important to know is this, are you appropriately reacting to Darwin's strengths? And so like, if you're putting him in a position where you're asking him to do something that's not a strength for him, then that's not going to benefit either of you. And so I think there is a risk. It's not necessarily a responsibility for each player, but I think, um, you know, part of your role in psychology, especially like kind of like more Western psychology and like the United States and probably like Great Britain and like a lot of parts of Europe are going to be a little bit different. But I think that the focus on the individual cognitive aspects are so strong in relation to the attention to context. And um, it is totally possible for us to shape our context in a way that pulls the best out of us in addition to getting ourselves at our best. And so that is part of what you can pay attention to as a player is like, who are the people around me and how can I keep them aware of my strengths and what I'm good at and the moments that they should be ready for in order to get the best out of me. And like, that's going to be mutually beneficial is for that to happen. And I notice, and it might be different ice hockey often that's very siloed. And part of it is I'm working with a lot of like young men from 18 to 23 and they're very resistant to give each other direct feedback or stepping on toes. Mm. There's like a little bit of a, sometimes a challenge there with getting them to speak to each other in a direct enough way of saying, Hey, if you do this, it's going to help me and you. Um, but I think in that particular case, you wait, you probably have the conversation before the next week of practice. You find the time to work on it a few times or where you can implement it a few times um, where you can really talk about it. And maybe if it's a thing that's going to be long-term, like then great. You, you pull them aside. You say, Hey, this is something I noticed from our last game. If you can do this thing here, which you're good at, like I can play this ball to you, which is going to set up you, you like set you up perfectly on the strength or whatever. And that's um, in the meantime, if there's people who aren't directly connected with your position, who just aren't doing what they need to, like if you're in a captain or leadership position, maybe your reaction to that is different. But if you're like not, then I think you just, you don't take any control of that or responsibility for that. You can't play the game for every player on the field. Mm. And so like you have to be really mindful of how much of that are you taking on and how much is that contributing to your frustration and mental state then? And I think it probably does come back then to the culture and atmosphere that's created by the coaching team so that, you know, it isn't your responsibility as Trent Alexander to go and have a chat with the with Darwin Nunes. You pull Jürgen or one of the backroom team aside and say, look, this is what I see. Are you seeing the same thing? And what if we get them to do this? Might that improve things? Or if they're good enough and why it's why they're paid the big bucks, 
they're coming to you going, we see you doing the right things. Keep doing that. We're going to work with Darwin to get him to shift into here because we feel it's in his wheelhouse. It's in his skill set to be able to do it. So we're going to work. You just keep doing what you need to do or what you're good at doing and we will get him there. It might just take us a bit of time, but it will be worth it in the long run. I think you hope that's happening too, right? Although I, I'm all for like the direct communication between the players. Like, I don't think you need the coaching staff as intermediaries there, but like, you know, at mm -hmm. some level, if Darwin's just not responding to trend, then like, yeah, going to the coaching staff and sort of saying, Hey, here's something I'm seeing. Maybe they'll pick that up. Maybe not. I think one of the th things I definitely notice quite a bit working with individuals at higher levels is, um, there's a shift in who's really the expert on each player's game. And so you hope that each member of the coaching staff is dialed in enough to each one of the players to really know their strengths well. But to some extent, like each member of the coaching staff has a somewhat superficial version of each individual player. They're keeping track of 25 different players, whereas for each individual player, like they keep track of themselves all the time. And so really helping the player understand, like there are things about your game that you know and understand and see that your coaches don't. And so there's a structure in youth sport, especially where we always just assume the coaches have a full, complete read on every individual player. It's probably not even true there, but like at a youth level, there's more that the coaches, there's more of a knowledge gap between mm -hmm. the coaches and the players. And there's more skill work you're doing, right? Like if it's a more technical work, whereas like at a really high level where you're a player, especially as technically gifted as Trent, your goal has less to do with improving your technique and a lot more to do with being more effective. And like you have the first person view of that. And so part of it is also the same way you're teaching your teammates how to get the best out of you. You also need to teach your coaches how to get the best out of you, which is that conversation. Like you mentioned there of, Hey, I'm doing this. Like, um, that's a great thing to do and say, like, I feel like I can make a big difference here. Like, what are you seeing? One of the things I, I try to work on with players a lot, and this like I find in like the, the college level game and like university level game, it's especially like it's a transition moment from um, kind of youth development to more professional, like shifting from my job is to do everything the coaches tell me to my job is to understand myself, my strengths and my game and be able to help other people understand that too so that they can get the best out of me. And that's an important developmental transition. Um, so I'm all for the direct conversation and I'm for the direct conversation with the coach because I think actually there's often more work that players need to do to help coaches see them fully and get the best out of them than would be expected. And I find often players get very frustrated when they feel like they're not getting the opportunities they want or like the coaches don't see a certain thing in their game. And it's like, well, they don't know, you know, so like you have to take responsibility for that. Then you have to prepare them to watch you in a certain way. And especially sometimes like coaches will get a thing in their head where it's like this fucking person always, excuse me, this person always makes this mistake. And so what the coach is watching for is like, I'm just waiting for this person to make this mistake. and I'm going to yell at them. And then players will be like, well, I'm never getting praised for any of the good things I'm doing. And it's like, well, are the coaches looking for that? You can go have a conversation with the coach. And so often what players do is they'll go in and they'll say, this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but it's an interesting sidetrack, I think. But they'll yeah. go into the coach and say, what do I need to do to get better? And the coach says, I want you to do A, B, and C 
and those are your areas of weakness. That's good. It's good information to have, and you can work on that over time. But you've just primed that coach to look for your three weaknesses. You just had this conversation. So if that's the only thing the coach is walking away with, that's what that coach is going to be looking for. So if you go into that office and you say, what do I need to work on? What are you seeing? And then you also say, here's what I'm seeing, and here's where I can positively impact the game, and here's where I think I'm making really good strides or really good plays. You've now primed that coach to look for your strengths and look for those moments and see how you can be effective in addition to having more information about where you could grow and what they want to see from you. And that's a really, it creates a context for you where your strengths are more likely to be noticed and reinforced, which over the long term is also just better for your own mentality when you're approaching the game. I should be paying you for this session, Andrew. My 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 daughter literally went to one of her coaches on Monday and said, "What could I do to improve?" And she got a couple of pointers, which are absolutely spot on. Mm-hmm. But I'm taking that information back Good. and I'm yeah. going to sit down with her and I'm going to say, "Don't forget to go and talk about the things that you can contribute." And I I think so often athletes are scared away from that because they're like, oh, "I don't want my coach to think I'm cocky or arrogant." And I think like. There's a misunderstanding. Coaches just don't always see it. You know, you see it really well because you are in your head playing your game every time. Um, and so if you're just waiting for coaches to pick up on that and notice it, they're paying attention to so much at once that they might not always do it. I mean, at some point, you might bring that to the coaches and the coaches might be like, eh, you know, I, I'm just not going to see it anyways. Like there's some lack of control there. But um it's a nice but you're planting a seed you're planting the yeah. seed in their yes. head and they right. may notice it subconsciously mm-hmm. they're much more likely to notice it mm. and think about you in that way and that's you know you're teaching people how to respond to you and what to look for when they're evaluating you um yeah. which at the very least gets you on the same page about expectations in a way that's difficult otherwise brilliant and this is why we have Dr. Andrew Vincent <laughs> on the Mindfield podcast for these uh, nuggets. Andrew, one last question before we finish up. Are we winning the remaining eight games that we have left? I thought I just said that's that's not a good goal. <laughs> <laughs> As fans, it is a fun goal to set. We could. Isn't that fun? That is fun. You know, like we really could. Like, and that's, that's cool. Like I, I worry about West Ham away a lot. That's the one that I look at. Cause I, I think like Spurs, like that's, we do well in those kinds of games and Spurs is always kind of Spursy and like, you know, we're us this year. So that's problematic. But like, um, you know, that one I'm less worried about than West Ham away. But I think if we can win West Ham away, then we could win the rest of our games. Right. Listeners on that bombshell. <laughs> from Andrew. Uh, We are going to wrap up and we will hopefully not have as long a hiatus. And hopefully when we're back, Andrew, we will have a few more wins under our belt as well. That'd be great, yes. And if they're not wins, then we might not show up at all. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. True to form. All right, listeners, thank you for your ears again and look after yourselves. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now 
at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.